Hey, Hannah here. And in case you missed it, Morgan and I usually start every podcast recording session by grabbing our afternoon coffee, even if we're already a little overcaffeinated. And if you're looking for a way to support the podcast, you can now fuel us and the podcast by buying us a coffee. No, really. There's a website called buymeacoffee.com. And all you have to do is add a forward slash we pod. That's buymeacoffee.com slash W-I-I-P-O-D. We love creating the podcast. You love listening. And you can support the podcast financially by buying us a coffee. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians to building a cohesive brand to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it, talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight-inclusive business, the good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we're on a mission to bring business education to other weight-inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. In this episode, we want to give a trigger warning for sexual assault. Please take care of yourself and skip this episode if needed. Welcome back to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Michelle Dew, who is an interior designer and founder of Cultivate Your Space. And we are going to be chatting about designing a office, either in person or a virtual office, because that is also important, that not only feels like you as a clinician, but creates as safe of a space as we possibly can for our clients. Michelle Dew is an interior designer and mental health advocate who is admired and trusted for her ability to pull together any room and personalize it to her client's exact taste. After a traumatic event left Michelle at her lowest, her story of self-healing now echoes the journey of her most beloved clients. Michelle believes that how you style your living space can become the inspiration and source of your inner healing through self-care, relaxation, and restoration, no matter where you've been or what you're going through. Michelle, welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Morgan. I'm so excited to be here. This feels like such an important conversation. Yes. And it's so it's so fun. I outside of social media, I don't think you and I have really connected, especially with like all of your big moves since we were first introduced by a therapist in Houston. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. I know. I love I I was thinking about that today. Kind of our original point of connection was through a therapist. So I love that. Yeah. And it now feels very full circle that we get to talk about this topic, which I am so excited to hear all of the tricks, because it's one of those things where like, I can very much appreciate a very like put together office. And I'm sure there's so much more that goes into designing a space for clinicians. And I just don't, I, I personally haven't been a part of this conversation in the weight inclusive business space and the eating disorder yeah. space. Um, the only kind of like point of connection to this uh, to like interior design in the mental health space is I actually worked at a higher level of care and they would not get us furniture that accommodated all bodies. And I oh, was gosh. just so frustrated by it. And so that's kind of the extent of, of like my actual like hands in this industry um, talking about it. So I'm very excited for you to be here today. Yes. I'm so glad to be here. I, I know that you have a um, history of designing therapist offices. I think your brother was a therapist, but I would love to yeah. know just kind of like 
your journey into interior design and especially kind of like what led you to work with mental health clinicians a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. So I started, I actually started my career in nonprofit youth work. So I was working with youth aging out of the foster care system. Um, and it was really meaningful, really important work. Um, and I actually had a traumatic event. I went on vacation to kind of get out of, <laughs> just take a break from, you know, as all clinicians know, you carry the trauma of others with you. So I kind of took a break from, um, from that to go on a vacation with some girlfriends. And while I was on this seven day cruise, I was actually assaulted by two men while I was on the trip. And I came back from that trip. It was now nine years ago. So it feels pretty far removed. Um, but while, when I came back from that trip, I mean, I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, I thankfully had a therapy therapist prior to that. And so I continued to see her, but bumped it up to twice a week. I was, you know, taking medications to help with, um, triggers, I'd say, <laughs> um, panic attacks and all sorts of triggers. Um, but during that season, I stepped away from my work in the nonprofit because honestly, Morgan, I really could not help others heal until I healed myself. And um, I was super intentional about that next year to set my life up in a way that promoted healing. And um, there's someone in my life who's much further ahead um, in life. And they're in their 60s or 70s and never healed from their past trauma um, of assault. And after what happened to me happened, I just remember very specifically saying, I will not be in that situation. I will not be someone in 50 years that that has never healed from something that we have, that thankfully as a person of privilege has access to so many resources. I will be someone who takes advantage of those resources. And so I took a year off to really heal. I stepped down from the nonprofit job, which was really hard because it was really meaningful and work that I really loved. Um, but I started doing everything externally that I could to promote internal healing. And it was literally Morgan, like if someone told me something and in another life, I'd be like, I would never, that's so weird. That's so woo woo. Or that's so, I'd be like, great, sign me up. Where do I go? Like, and it would just be like, <laughs> try it and see what sticks. Like, I mean, I was doing things from like, I was going to CrossFit with five women where it was like a private, private setting with these five women that I knew personally. And we would literally just like kick the shit out of stuff and throw tires and like slam kettlebells and get all the anger out. And it was absolutely beautiful. Um, I was going to yoga weekly. I was obviously going to therapy. Um, I was meditating. I was just whatever, whatever promoted external healing. I went to beautiful spaces and saw beautiful things, um, went to Colorado and stayed with a friend in the mountains. And then I really started to work on my home and my space of what it meant to feel safe in my own home. Um, I lived alone at the time and um, had to create a lot of like safety mechanisms in my home of what it meant to feel secure and safe. And so that's when I started uh, having live plants in my space. I started diffusing things in my diffuser that were very intentional. Someone gave me um, an essential oil called Hope and she, it's going to make me cry just thinking about it, but she had had a similar experience 20 years prior. And when I got home, she gave me this little bottle of hope and was like, I just want you to put this on daily and remind yourself that there's hope and um, let it be this very physical, intentional practice of you telling your body there's hope out there. Another thing was my brother and sister-in-law gave me something called a resurrection firm. And it was just this little physical, I mean, I still have it, um, this little 
physical reminder that there's hope and that there's resurrection life and, and the life comes and goes, but it's this little fern that can go dormant and can like look dead for years. And then it gets near a water source and comes back to life and opens up. And so it was just this little physical reminder of, um, of life and how (laughs) life is hard and it comes and goes, you know, but anyways, during that season, I realized I had so much power to create a space of healing. Like I, I personally had the power to create a space of healing. And I always really enjoyed interior design. I was the kid like moving around my furniture in second grade and annoying my mom, you know. Um, but it felt like really pointless work. <laughs> like it felt like I just, I, I went from the nonprofit world where I was like helping children age out of the foster care system. And I was like, the last thing on earth I want to do is help Karen's pick out throw pillows. <laughs> like it sounded like, a nightmare. And I grew up in like very suburban America. And I just had a picture of what it meant to be an interior designer. And I was like, hell no, like that will not be me. I'm meant for something more. But it really Morgan, it really felt like this calling moment on my life towards the end of that year and towards the end of healing. And I think I was in a very intuitive spot of like, kind of taking only the good in and that sort of thing. But I really had this moment where even the name cultivate your space like landed upon me. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to help people create spaces of healing. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it means like, but I can do interior design if it means that I'm having an impact on people's actual lives and not just making their homes look like catalogs because I don't care what your house looks like or what your what your space looks like. I care how it feels and how it promotes healing for you and for others. And that was kind of the launch to cultivate your space. Like that's where it began. Wow. What a powerful story. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. It's incredible to see the hardships that we go through turn into something that can be so powerful in our work. And I, I deeply hate that that happened to you, but I'm so thankful that you were like here now designing spaces to help others find that healing and find that safety. So Cultivate Your Space has been around for a couple of years now. I think we're going on our sixth year. Yeah. Sixth year. Okay. And uh, again, I, I'm pulling on information from like our first meeting. Your brother yeah. is a therapist. Correct. Yes. And this is um, kind of like, um, like he was like, I need, I have a therapy practice. Like, can you help me put it together? Or how did that go? Yeah. So I mean, I've always been like, even before I did this professionally, I've just been the friend that people go to that are like, Hey, I'm moving or Hey, I'm got a new office. Do you have any, like, what would you do in this space? And it's always been super fun. So my brother, you know, he's a therapist and I helped him like as a sister, like helped him pick things out. He also loves design and is pretty good at it, but he, he like trusts me for the bigger decisions and like, how should this work? But he has a very cool space. Um, But he actually opened a practice um, in the town I used to live in. He opened a whole clinic. So he has, I think, 17 therapists in his clinic. And it's, I'll I'll probably get to this later, but it's really cool because his clinic is kind of a, like a respite in this very conservative town. (laughs) It's like more open-minded and um, accepting, open and affirming, that sort of thing. And so this clinic has really become a respite for people. And it was really, it was, it was such an honor to help him. I, I designed the, I think it's nine offices and the waiting room because we really wanted to take 
who he is as a therapist and what the clinic means to the community and display that visually and have people walk in and know that they're in a certain space. So I'm sure we'll get to that later on, but like what a clinician can do in their space to like as a, in their therapeutic space to represent who they are as a clinician, I think is such an untapped piece. Yeah. So, yeah. so yes, my, yeah. So my brother, um, you know, he's opened this new practice with, um, I think nine offices and was just like, I don't want this to be a fuddy duddy, like six year olds office with Wayfair furniture. Like I want this to be a space that people walk in and they feel, they feel safe. Yeah. Which is kind of the, the big talk of this podcast is why is design so important when it comes to being a clinician? Like why, like I feel like anyone can kind of like go willy nilly by furniture, put it together, but there is intentionality behind it. So why is it so important? So the biggest thing I'll say, Morgan, is that our nervous systems are craving safety in an arm in our environments. They are. Our nervous systems are looking for signs of safety. And as a clinician, your nervous system is looking for signs of safety in your space, but also as someone um, attending therapy, you're, they are looking, your clients are looking for signs of safety in their physical space. So I think, I mean, I just think it's so important that um, clients feel, feel safe in the physical space, um, even if you're meeting virtually, just signs of safety that they can kind of cling on to. Um, I just think it's such such an important thing. But I also think it's how you represent yourself as a clinician, like how you present yourself. I mean, I keep thinking about like branding and website, like it's a, it's a, it's a physical display of who you are as a clinician, who you are as a professional and your physical space is just another way of doing that. Even if it is just a background behind you on zoom. I love that. That's a conversation uh, as I do branding and web design work with clinicians as, as well. It's a conversation we bring up a lot that comes up a lot of matching the brand to the to the office space and having that like consistency and stability across like all of the platforms which is also like making sure that the branding is is you know trauma informed you're intentional I guess I'll say yes absolutely um, and like vice versa and so absolutely with the uh, clinicians in general especially over the last few years a lot of folks have in-person offices and a lot of folks see people virtually and there's usually a combination of both. And so I want to dive into like both of those because uh, certain spaces, uh, obviously when you're designing like an office space, like a waiting room, the actual office where your client is physically in your space, there's probably some things to keep in, keep in mind. And then even virtually, I think it's important for like the clinician to have a space that like feels good for them, but also like what Absolutely. you see in the background of your camera and not having to use like a zoom background or something like that. Yes. Um, I know. I'm like, can we just, well. can we just all decide that we're three years <laughs> post 2020 zoom backgrounds are not like virtual zoom backgrounds are not okay. <laughs> I just want to like, you know what I want to do? My next business is like creating beautiful spaces that are zoom backgrounds. So people think you're in like a beautiful space and it's just like, you like bought it. <laughs> I love that. And I could absolutely see a market for that of like designing for clinicians, just design a couple, yes. have some photos taken, and then sell those. Yeah, to you. they're like my other therapist had a living room just like yours. <laughs> like, oh, coincidence. I don't know. I don't know what, that, what that's about. Are you in an anthropology right now? I am in an anthropology store. Don't mind me. <laughs> That'd be great. Love yeah. that. I will. We'll have to follow up because I think that's a really great, really great idea. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Um, so starting with clinicians that have a physical office space, what are your top tips for designing an office? And you can separate this into like a waiting room versus an actual like office to be as safe of a space as we can create and also a trauma-informed space. Absolutely. So as far as in-person goes, I mean, as far as the waiting room and the actual clinician's office, a lot of them overlap. So I like to think of using your five senses. Again, it's all about our nervous system kind of regulating itself and um, kind of taking signs of safety from the space. So just think about the example I like to give is how do you feel when you walk into Walmart? Like think about like the physical response you have in your mind and in your body right now. When I, if you were to close your eyes and picture walking in Walmart, I picture like overhead fluorescent lights, which like make my eye twitch just thinking about it. I picture like a smell that I'm not quite sure what it is or where it's coming from. (laughs) If it's food, if it's an individual, I don't really know what's happening. There's something sticky under my feet. Like it's just for me. Walmart is like a sensory overload, not a place I want to be often go in, get what I need, get out as rarely as possible. Right now, if I think about a yoga studio or a spa, like my favorite Austin local spa that I go to, and I want to spend hours there because I walk in and someone uses a soft whisper voice and there's spa music playing and it's a little dimly lit and there's beautiful smells happening. I like, there's a hint of lavender, rosemary, and like Mm -hmm. just there's a warm tea, like my senses. I just like, I can physically feel in my body right now, the shift of Walmart to the day spa. Right. And so just thinking of that in our spaces, what is, what, and I, I encourage you to think like, what, what does your client feel when they walk into your space. Because again, it does not matter what it looks like. That's a piece of it because, because our, because sight is one of our senses, but it's about how it feels. So think about, um, kind of assessing based on your five senses. So what does it smell like when you walk into your office? What is the waiting room? Are they met with like a fresh scent or are they met with Mexican food? Like (laughs) what, what scent do they initially smell? And I think it'd be so beautiful. So just a small story about scent. I have a friend named Kevin who is like one of my safest male friends, like, especially through what I've been through, like having a few men that I feel like are like my champions, my like just solid man. And this man wears patchouli oil every day, every day for his scent. It's his scent. It is his signature scent. And I smell patchouli walking the walking ladybird trail. And I think of Kevin and I feel this sense of safety. Like it just, oh, and yeah. I just think like, how beautiful would it be if, if you had like this signature scent to your office of lavender and rosemary and, or maybe it's your anthropology candle, like whatever it is, but that someone walks into your office and they smell something that tells their nervous system they're safe. Like, how cool would that be? Um, And with scent, I also would encourage you not to use things that are triggering. So like there's certain scents that can be um, more stimulating or just more, I mean, honestly, an anthropology candle, it can be like a pretty strong off-putting scent to some. So just thinking about like softer smells, lavender is obviously an easy one, those sorts of things. Um, And then lighting is huge, huge. Like I cannot say enough about lighting. Um, my biggest, like biggest tip that's absolutely free is turning off your overhead lights. If you have any fluorescence in your office, 
or really any overhead lights in general, turn them off. Like the most natural light as possible. Um, so opening not just the curtains, but also opening the blinds if you have blinds. Um, and then, and there's things that you can do. I know for privacy um, in a clinician's office, like my brother and I, we frosted his windows. You can get this like sticker thing that just frosts the windows so client other clients can't see in the office, but letting as much natural light in as possible and dim lighting. So, I mean, in a therapist's office, I would have like three to five lamps and not using the overhead lamps. Um, and if you're a clinician looking for a new space to rent or something like that, the number one priority, um, just as far as design goes, I would say is natural light. Um, a couple other things in regards to like a physical space is thinking about comfort of clients getting in and out of, of the furniture. So nothing, I know right now it's very trendy and I love mid-century modern. Um, but super low furniture is just not, not ideal. It's not weight inclusive, but it's also not, it's just not inclusive to all body types of like, I have two herniated discs. Like I don't want to get up and down from a super low chair. Um, things in waiting rooms, always having an option for a couch or a chair, um, so that someone, um, can, can choose where they will, the, where they will be most comfortable. Also, also having chairs without arms. So, um, just thinking weight inclusive, having chairs that someone doesn't have to fit a certain size of chair. Um, let's see what else. There's something else that came to mind. Oh, also regarding in-person um, spaces is just thinking of texture and comfort of the space. So like sit on, sit on your couch with shorts on and see how it feels on your legs. Like, is the fabric scratchy? Is it itchy? I think a lot of clinicians never sit on the client side. Like they sit in their one chair and they're comfortable and they're cozy and their back feels good. But I'm curious how many cl clinicians have actually sat on the couch um, and seen like, oh, it completely dips in in the center and this isn't comfortable, you know? So if you have a couple and they're in here sitting on two sides, they're literally caving in towards each other. And like, we won't make any analogies about what that means for their marriage, but like, it just, you know, and um, I mean, there's so many specifics too, when it comes to furniture layout to a space, um, especially for the clinician's office of you never want to block the door with your chair as a clinician. Um, so you want to keep that walkway open, particularly for people who um, suffer from PTSD, they need an escape route. Um, um, and they also, the um, client shouldn't sit with their back to the door. So a space where they can just kind of think of the layout of your of your space and is there an easy way out and can that person see the door? Um, another big piece of in-person, and this one kind of goes for in-person and virtual, is um, art. So having art on the walls that feels meaningful to you and to your practice. Um, so my brother, for example, um, he studied, he, he got his master's um, in Seattle, in the Pacific Northwest. And kind of his program there is like his lifelong friends, his um, kind of his therapy community. And he goes back frequently for um, ongoing training in this group he's a part of. And so we put above the um, client's couch where the client sits, um, we put pictures from the Pacific Northwest um, by a local photographer that are in black and white. And if you walked in the space, you might not know, oh, those are all, that's a, 
grid of photographs from the Pacific Northwest. But when my brother Jeremy sits in his clinician's chair, he's reminded of where he's come from and reminded of all the people that are with him in this as he hears stories day in and day out. Um, as far as what the client is seeing when they're sitting, I always recommend something of interest, like give them something to look at. Because I think, I mean, as someone who's been through a lot of therapy, I'm like, I just need something like if I'm feeling the weight of your eyes as a clinician, or if I'm feeling the weight of my story, if I want to disengage for a moment, give me something to look at. I need something to distract. And so I think anything of interest, like a really unique piece of art that has a lot going on. Um, if, you know, if there's ability to look out a window with some sort of natural landscape, that's always ideal if the, if the client can look out a window. Um, but giving them some point of interest and for the love of God, not target art, like not target Kirkland's art. <laughs> like just, I mean, I think I've just been in different clinicians offices and I'm like, I don't want to look at the art that I've saw in my mom's house in 1992 or like like represent yourself through your space and and find I mean Etsy is such a great resource to find real artists real people with um, art that has story and just I just encourage you to like think about your own life like what's something that's meaningful I had another um, clinician who has a home on the east she lives on the west coast and she has a home on the east coast that um, her grandparents owned and her grandparents were like a significant part of her story of becoming a therapist and the work that she's doing for others. And so we did, it was just like an Etsy print from the actual beach that her grandparents have a house on that she still frequents and visits. And so she's like sitting in her clinician's chair every day and is reminded of, of the reason she's there. Um, another great thing to add is live plants. Like I, I know there's science behind live plants and like the purification process of a space, but Personally, I just feel I love the idea and the beauty and the symbolism of having life in a space. Like even the process of watching something die is, I think, a therapeutic, beautiful process of knowing that like life goes on. It continues. We it, it just feels like such a symbolic gesture. And especially if you're like, I'm not a designer, I don't know how to do this live plants are just such an easy way. And I have all sorts of tips on my Instagram and things like that of like almost plants you almost can't kill. Um, and then lastly, I'll say um, just thinking of things that have high texture and comfort. So thinking, you know, I mentioned like feeling the texture of your couch and like, is this comfortable? Is this a, is this a texture someone would want to sit on having throw pillows with varying texture of like, maybe there's one that's shagged. Maybe there's one that's, um, you know, um, like a macrame kind of fabric with high texture. Maybe there's one that's leather. Maybe your rug has like a high pile to it. And, you know, think through traffic and, and that sort of thing, foot traffic. But just think about um, what someone could physically touch to feel comfort in this space, um, particularly, I'd say, around where your client will sit. Holy cow. Those are it's <laughs> a lot it's a lot. great I love it and I mean I like I had, like the question that I was kind of thinking about as you were talking was like huh like what's this what's this nice blend between bringing like the clinician's personality and brand and like that into the space while also 
you know, keeping the client in mind. And I love that you mentioned like, what is the other person looking at? Because like what's yes. behind the clinician, like they're not going to be staring at that, but like the client is. So being intentional of like placement of things like that uh, in Absolutely. their space is, is me. I never would have thought of that. <laughs> I'd yeah. Like, oh, and can we pretty much just throw them up? So. Yes. Yes. Let's just throw up a macrame that we got at Target. Yeah, for sure. And I think like, can we talk about branding for a second? Just branding yes. of your space as a clinician. Oh I know. Of course. <laughs> I know. I thought you'd be excited about that. So um, I've done many, I've probably done 30 therapy practice offices at this point, but my brother's was the biggest, like, and I was there in person, did a lot of it in person. Um, but in his office, like I mentioned, it's a, it's a open and affirming in a more conservative town and his kind of target market. I just think it's so much about knowing who your target market is, who you're serving, the, your ideal client, right. Who you want to be seeing, who you are as a person and how to reflect that in your space. So like I said, my brother's clinic is kind of um, like an anomaly in this town where most of the clinicians there are 50 or 60 year old, like more biblical counselors, um, that kind of style. And so when you walk into their space, he wanted it to feel West Elm, eclectic, colorful. We even did like a rainbow mural on the wall. I mean, it's not a rainbow, but it's like a rainbow color mural on the wall. Um, We did cool young artists, like, we, it's just a very fun space um, that that is more targeted to who, who their ideal client is. My 65-year-old mother is not their ideal client. My mom would not walk into that therapy office and be like, wow, this is beautiful. I want to pay them $125 an hour. But the 25-year-old struggling with their sexuality absolutely is going to walk into that space and immediately feel safe and be like, these therapists are approachable and this is who I want to see. Yes. Yes. That is a a huge thing of like, I mean, my favorite phrase is when you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. And so oh, if yes. you're trying to create this space that's like attractive to everyone, like, are you really creating that safe of a space if you're trying to attract everyone or are you trying right. to, or, or do you need to like really be like, these are the types of folks that I want to see. And this is the space that I think will feel best for them. Gosh. And as a business owner, I'm sure you feel this as well, but like when I'm working with my ideal client, when I'm working with people who get me and I get them and we're speaking the same language, the work is so much, it's just like, you're on track, you're on track. You're just running on a track. And I think just thinking about our physical spaces and I love like, that's the part about my job that I love so much is helping clinicians and everyday people take what they think they need for their space. They're like, okay, here's what I want and desire, but how do I physically make that happen? Like, okay, Michelle, this is my ideal client. How do I physically make that happen in my therapeutic, in my, in my therapy office? Like that's where I come in and get to give you the tool, like give you actual resources to make that happen, which is so fun. Okay. I'm going to shift gears over to virtual space. So what are some design tips that you have for the clinician seeing clients virtually? So I'm imagining like, you know, you and I are here like on Zoom and like my background looks awful because I'm literally in my parents' spare bedroom right now. And there's like, <laughs> you can see command strips on the wall from furniture that I brought to my apartment. And so I, 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 if you could walk us through kind of like what a space would look like behind, because some of those senses are removed, like what some, what are things to keep in mind for the background of a Zoom Absolutely. call? Yeah. So I think a lot of the same things that I said about um, an in-person clinic, that also, a lot of those things remain true, but more for you. 
for you as a clinician to be able to sit on a Zoom call or, you know, a Zoom session and feel like your nervous system is regulated, please, please take all of those tips and use those in your space. You know, have a diffuser going while you're sitting at your desk meeting with your virtual clients, have a lamp lit, um, have, you know, but as far as what the client is seeing on the other end, biggest things are lighting. So having um, a window in front of you is ideal um, so that the light is coming on your face and not you're not backlit. That's a huge thing. Um, another thing is giving people something to look at behind you. So giving them some sort of interest, something to look at. It can be a peel and stick wallpaper. It can be one large piece of art. It could be a bookshelf with lots of little things on it done in a clean, tidy way. Um, I think the biggest thing too is just having something behind you, like not a blank. I've met with so many people on like professionals, like professionals that I've hired to do things that were on a zoom call and their background is just a blank white wall. And I'm like, oh, where are you? Like, <laughs> I need to know, I need to know what your life story is and why you're in a white box because I don't know what's happening. And I think there's something like, you know, I said, our nervous system is sensing is looking for safety in our, our environment. I think even virtually, like I, I need some context. I need to know where you are. Like even looking at you in your parents guest room. I'm like, I have some context of where you are. Like I can see a dresser with a TV. I can see a mirror on the other side. I can see, like, I can see some corners of your walls and like have context. The biggest, like, honestly, one time I was on a call with somebody and the guy had with that blurred screen behind him. Mm -hmm. And I, I genuinely Morgan felt unsafe, like not physically unsafe, but I felt this, like, what is happening? Like, are there piles of laundry behind you? Are there bodies? Like what is going on? Like, why do you need to blur right. your background? And so I, I mean, I, we joked earlier about like having a, you know, virtual background, but I'm like, I honestly think that's m less helpful than having a bed behind you or something less than ideal. I just mm -hmm. think like, I think we're sensing safety. And I think sometimes safety is just knowing, like just knowing what's back there. Like I just need some context. And so obviously, ideally, you'd have a beautiful piece of art behind you that has some meaning and a large scale, like something that's not teeny tiny things that people are like, what's going on back there? Um, so, you know, a wallpaper, a fun wallpaper is a great thing. Um, bookshelf, that sort of thing. I'd say avoid, I mean, I think clinicians already avoid like pictures of family and that sort of thing, but try to avoid like small pictures. Um, having natural light on your face, we talked about that. And then the last thing I'll say, which seems like somewhat unnecessary, but just having a consistent, stable space. Um, I've met with people where it's like every session, they're in a different angle or location, or like they're sitting somewhere different in their office. And for me as the, um, client, I felt like, oh, I don't, I don't like, are you at home today? I don't know where you are. Like, are you in a different part of your office? What's going on? And it's like, it's just unnecessary, like angst. Um, so being consistent and I would say like having a virtual setup, like if you're, especially if you're only seeing clients virtually, or even if you're not, but someone's still paying you hourly to see you virtually having a consistent setup. That's like, this is where my screen is not on your lap. I, <laughs> I had a therapist have her laptop on her lap. And so every time she talked or laughed or chuckled, the screen was like, <laughs> jolting around, like looking up shaking. her nose. <laughs> yes. I'm like, can you just stay still? But then as the, as the client, you're like, I'm not about to tell her what to do, you know, but it's just like, just little things you might not think about of like having a stationary setup 
good lighting. And if you don't have great lighting, I know, especially like if you're working from home, you might not have great lighting. You can get these like, I mean, it, it sounds like you're an influencer or something. Just it's a business expense. It's an investment. Get one of those little ring lights that you just put above your laptop and gives yourself mm-hmm. better lighting. And just think about how the person's seeing it from the other side of the screen. And kind of in alignment with, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the virtual space for a second. Most people who are doing virtual sessions probably have somewhere in their house that they're doing this, which leads us to kind of like work life balance separation. Like I'm in a studio and I, I have kind of like my own little routine, but it's all one space. So do you have any recommendations for like being able to turn off from the work day? If someone doesn't necessarily have like a whole office dedicated just for seeing clients? Absolutely. So I think of it more as like, it sounds a little woo-woo, but almost like this energetic field around your desk space. So say you have a desk and you don't have an office, you just have a desk in your living room or in your dining nook or something. Thinking of that space as physically like this energetic field that's like, this is where work happens. So you don't sit at that desk for anything else other than to see clients and to do your clinical work. So you're not sitting at that desk to eat. You're not sitting at that desk to talk to your husband about work expenses, like you sit at that desk and you you put your therapist hat on. Um, and for some people, that's even like, it's just about creating a designated space. So I would always say, like, avoid the kitchen table, avoid, absolutely avoid the bedroom, if at all possible. I think the bedroom, I think during COVID, you know, a lot of people had to have a closed door to see clients. And I had, um, I had a, a client of mine who is a therapist, but I did her home. I do a lot of therapist homes as well because they just get it right. They get, they get the, um, the brand for sure. So she was having to see, you know, I know there's limits. Like she was having to see clients in her bedroom, but we created a super separate space that was designated just for that. And it was like this little corner. And we even put a rug underneath her desk in this area and these bookshelves that were like, if I'm not stepping on that rug, I'm not on clinical mode. You know, I'm, I'm stepping out. Um, and something else I learned um, during my time working in nonprofit, because those stories were really hard to leave in the office, um, was having a ritual, just having a ritual of clocking off. And that can be done leaving your clinical office, that can be done stepping off the mat. I mean, like, I would even find a phrase of like stepping off the mat, taking off my clinical hat, taking, you know, setting down these stories, like finding phrases, and then I would create like a physical ritual of what it means to sign off for the day and literally leave everything at the desk. So whether that's like taking an essential oil between your hands and rubbing your hands and taking three deep breaths and saying like, I'm releasing these stories here or um, some, when I was working for the nonprofit, I had one song that I would listen to on my drive home every single time. It was the same exact song. And it was like kind of a jam out song. And sometimes I'd cry and sometimes I'd scream and sometimes I'd sing along, but like, having just creating some sort of ritual, maybe it's I take a 10 minute, I think, especially if you're working from home, get out of the house, even for five, 10 minutes, maybe it's I water the plants as soon as I get off. When I as soon as I'm done as a clinician for the day, um, I go for a 10 minute walk around the block. um, And just, you know, get my body moving, but just getting out. um, You know, there's that I feel like there's this like meme trending on Instagram right now, but it's like slams laptop shut till Monday, like, what does it mean yes. for you to physically like slam laptop shut till Monday, you know, or until 
after lunch or until you see your next um, client, but really creating a very separate physical space. Oh, amazing. Thank you for that. And I definitely think there's like tips that you've shared, like, like you mentioned, like for the offices that you could absolutely bring into creating a separate space just for that work. Like I'm even envisioning like the diffuser, the scent of like, this is only being, the scent is only being diffused while I'm working and things like that. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And even like, you know, for one clinician I had, um, I put a shag rug under her desk of just like something tactile for her feet, like to work barefoot when she's seeing clients virtually and just to feel like grounded and feel mm-hmm. almost this, yeah, this sense of safety and comfort and it's just like her own little fidget spinner at her feet, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's so helpful. I appreciate all of the tips of things, mainly things to do. But my final question for you is, are there any design don'ts? Like, no way, just no don't do it. Don't do it when it comes to creating a safe space for mental health clinicians and clients. Yeah. I mean, there's not too many because I think... I just believe so much more in how the space feels versus how it looks. Mm. And so like design don'ts, I'm like, whatever, it's your house, it's your clinic, do what you want. Um, But as far as like being inclusive and being um, like a therapeutic space, I think there are some things that I would not recommend. Um, One thing is just like stereotypical art, the basic art from Kirkland's, from Target. Now things like mirrors or lamps, I am not above shopping all of those places. Um, but art specifically, I think art should have meaning. I think it, I think it just says so much, um, and means so much. And there's plenty of places to find it. That's affordable. Like I said, Etsy society six is one that like works with smaller artists. There's all sorts of places to get good art. Um, and then secondly, I would say just in general, there are exceptions to this, but just don't shop furniture from places like Ikea and Wayfair. Um, in general, those things are made from particle board. They have a tendency to break a lot quicker, especially with a space that's being used daily. Um, you know, it's not sitting in your formal dining room where someone sits on, on it at Christmas. Um, it, there's just a tendency for things to break. And I, I just... With those types of furniture in spe- specifically, I think, A, it's a tax write-off, so keep that in mind. B, you, this is something you do not want to repurchase in three years. An IKEA couch is not meant to last you 10 years. So a $600 purchase today could mean another $600 purchase in three years. Whereas if you saved up $1,500, you could, you know, like, so I would say save up, buy the real thing. The other thing with that is, I am a big advocate of shopping used furniture on places like Facebook Marketplace, like getting a higher quality piece at a lower, at a much lower price also helps the environment. Um, I would rather someone buy a crate and barrel couch on Facebook for $600 than go get a brand new Ikea. Um, And you can obviously have it professionally clean and that sort of thing. Um, So yeah, those are kind of my, my don'ts. The only other thing I'll say is for clinicians who see, couples being sure that you have more than one space for them to sit. Um, There's obviously, there's often reasons people are coming to a therapist um, in their relationship. And sometimes those people need space from each other, physical space. And just honoring that I think means having two couches, a couch and a chair in addition to your space to sit. And so, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking through that too, especially in like the eating disorder space, especially for adolescents. Well, I mean, I guess like any therapy with adolescents or any nutrition counseling sessions with adolescents, 
it's likely that the parents are going to be involved or a caregiver is going to be involved or something. And so even then, like not just couples, but like kid maybe needing some space from caregiver. And they're talking about, you know, what did you cover in therapy today? Um, And so being able to, to accommodate that as well. Well, thank you so much for all of that. I we're going to end this with some rapid fire questions that you don't know about. So so fun makes me a little nervous, but I'm excited. Oh my god, they're they're great. They're nothing. Nothing is going to be too hard. I promise. And so, just say it's not about my dating life. Not about your dating life. Promise. If we need, if we want to record a podcast about the dating (laughs) life, we'll gladly do that too. (laughs) Separate episode. (laughs) It'll be three minutes long. It'll be great. So just say the person that comes to mind. Question one. If your business was an animal, what would it be? Platypus. Why? <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds fun and like kind of different and I don't know, just kind of random. What is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? Oh, freedom. I love, I love having like my own autonomy in my schedule. Like Oh, I'm feeling off today. My energy is not on. Okay. What can I shift today that I can do tomorrow in order to honor? I just feel like there's so much ability to honor my own needs in being my own business owner. What is your morning routine to get ready for the day? Oh, okay. I recently listened to this Mel Robbins podcast. That's all about her morning routine and it was super helpful. So right now I get up, I try not try not to look at my phone at all. I make my bed, which is a very new thing. I've as a designer, it's funny that I don't make my bed, but I just wasn't raised to make my bed. I make my bed. Um, I go for at least a 10 minute walk around the trail around Lady Bird Lake, which is just so good to see water every morning and like feel my body move. And then I make a cup of coffee and I sit and do kind of like a journal calendar for the day type of thing. But coffee is the most important part of everything I just said. That's I'm right there with you on that one. If you had $100,000 to spend on your business today, how would you spend it? That's tough. I would either make a course, like an incredible course, giving everybody these tools of what it means to have a safe, healing, physical space um, so that people didn't necessarily have to hire somebody in order to get these tools. I would either do that or... I would love to write a book on these, on this topic, what it means to have a space. I mean, I don't even know if it costs money to write a book. I don't know how that works. Um, I feel like both of those things, it's like that hundred thousand dollars is like your salary secured. So you have the freedom to do the course in the book. Amen. Amen. How do I, I, you know what? It's funny, Morgan. I had this thought. I was actually thinking specifically about a hundred thousand dollars last night because you know how Taylor Swift gave all, you know how Taylor Swift gave all of her truck drivers a hundred thousand dollar bonus. And I had this, I read that a couple weeks ago. And then last night I had this thought of like a hundred thousand dollars. Like that's over. I'm sure that's way over their yearly salary. Like what did that mean for those families? And I was, and I literally had this thought last night, like what would I do if I received a hundred thousand dollar bonus, like not a, not a salary, a bonus of a hundred thousand dollars. And those were the thoughts that came to mind. I was like, this is what I would do with this. All right. Well then it's a, this question was meant to be <laughs> share your thoughts. It was meant to be. It probably means a hundred thousand dollars is coming my way any moment. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. You'll have to, you'll have to give us an update <laughs> when it does. <laughs> when it drops. Yeah. You bet. Yep. 
What is the hardest decision that you've had to make in your business? Oh gosh, this is hard. So I had to let a couple people go this year and that was really, really hard. It just wasn't meeting the needs that the business had um, financially or just like production wise. And it was really hard because I'm such a people centered person. Um, But having like the bottom line numbers of business, it was really hard. And it, and you know, of course I had lots of like, am I doing the wrong thing? Am I doing the right thing? And I had worked really hard to grow a team. I mean, I had four people on staff and then three, three or four and let everybody go. And it was really hard and they were all contract. It wasn't like they were full time, but I completely shifted my business model and it was a hundred percent the thing that needed to happen, but it was definitely the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my business. What is your least favorite task that you've happily outsourced? Content planning. Like social media, email marketing stuff. Yeah. Marketing, email marketing stuff. And it's not like I enjoy creating my own content, but it's the planning and the brain power that it takes to like figure out what needs to go out when and scheduling it and planning it. But if you, if my VA will tell me like, here's three posts, I I need your leader thought for the week or whatever. I'm like, Oh, I can do that. And I just like write a little note on my phone and I'll be like laying by the pool. And I'm like, Oh, I have a good thought about throw pillows. Like, and I'll just write it out real quick. So just the, like, I think the execution of content management has been a game changer that and copywriting like sales, sales, copywriting has changed my life. Can relate. And if you're okay with me sharing this for full transparency, we both use Kendall to write our copy. Yes, we do. I talk about Kendall all the time. Yeah. Well, and I found her through you because I was like, oh my gosh, if she helped you, she can help me. And I think the biggest thing about Kendall that's been so great to outsource is I can write. I can't write with sales in mind, like selling my service because I feel like I'm bragging or not being humble. And so the fact that she's doing it for me, I'm like, whatever, like just, I mean, it's coming across as me, but it's, you know, it's, it's more sales driven. And I'm like, that's what I need. Why write anything if it's not bringing in sales? Like, you know, and then I get to do, I get to write the more fun, like therapeutic education business. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's so, it's great. It's like the best, one of the best investments I've made too. So love it. For sure. Last rapid fire question for you. What is the best thing that you've eaten in the last week? Oh my gosh. I love this question. This is so fun. Yesterday, um, I actually went on a first date yesterday and we were at a coffee shop and it ended with tacos, which is like a great transition from coffee to tacos. Um, oh gosh, what was it called? It's here in Austin and there's so many good tacos here in Austin, but it was a fried fish taco where like the fish was flat across the whole tortilla. And so it was like every bite you were getting two bites of fried fish and it was, Mm the best taco ever. I just wish that I could give them a few interior design tips on their taco shop because it was atrocious. <laughs> but the you should do a little, little like service trade. Like you give me tacos, <laughs> I will give you design stuff. This is a great I mean, partnership. When I happen. tell you there were no overhead lights, there were string Christmas lights and it is not Christmas time. Like that is, that is what we were. That's what, and squeaky chairs, like talk oh. about sensory overload. Yeah. But the taco was very good. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. Uh, We'll leave it with this. Where can folks find you and connect with you? And how can they work with you? Yeah. So you can find me on all the platforms at Cultivate Your Space. It's at cultivate.your.space. My website's cultivateyourspace.com. 
And the best way to work with me is my give me the vision package. So what that looks like is we get on a consult together, virtual or in person. We talk through your space, your needs, your desires, how you want the space to feel. We'll talk about your branding, all of that. And then I create a super specific design for you. You'll receive a PDF where you can envision your space. Um, We can use pieces that you already have or bringing in new pieces. We'll talk about floor plan layout. And then you receive this PDF with all clickable links. Don't forget everything's a tax write-off, which is amazing um, if you own your own practice. Um, But yeah, then you can execute it over time and your own budget and your own timeline, which is kind of amazing. So yeah. Oh, I love that because furnishing a whole office is probably a little bit more on the pricey side, especially because you want to do it right the first time. So they get everything from you and then can put it all together in the time that it takes them. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Incredible. And we will be sure to uh, have a direct link to that in the show notes, as well as a way to get on your email list, because I know it is so full of such good tips with the clinicians in mind, but also just like really good tips in general. I am here for hot takes on throw pillows. So yes, (laughs) we'll gladly share that some other folks can be in on the hot takes as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. It was lovely chatting with you. Thanks so much, Morgan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our podcast to add us to your queue every week. Please leave us a rating and review and share with a friend to help us reach more weight inclusive business owners who can use support and pep talks. We'll see you next week.